Let's pray real quick and then we'll get started. God, thank you uh, for this church family. Thank you that we have a place to come and share our, our joys and, and our sorrows as well. Thank you that we don't walk this road alone, but that you gave us each other. We, um, we give you tonight and we ask that everything we do here would honor you. We need to hear from you, Lord. And so I pray that you would speak to us uh, from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Uh, when I was about 17 years old, I signed up to go on this wilderness adventure experience called High Road. And um, I liked the outdoors. I had been to camp before, and I thought, you know, I had just graduated from high school. I was going to move away from home, and I thought, I'll get to know some people, and this will be a good way to make friends. Now, it was 19 days long, which was a little longer than I had ever done anything before, and so I was a little nervous. But I thought, when will I ever get a chance to do something like this again? So I signed up. And the summer that I was waiting for it, they sent me a couple of books to read in preparation for this trip. They sent me one, it was a C.S. Lewis book called The Problem of Pain, which is a theology of suffering. And then they sent me a book by a guy named Viktor Frankl called Man's Search for Meaning, and it was how he survived uh, living through the Holocaust. Now, if I was thinking, I would have said, why are they sending me these books? <laughs> Do I really want to go on this trip? Um, and I should have paid attention to that little voice inside because I hopped on a bus uh, one week with everybody else. We went to the upper peninsula of Michigan. And when we finally got to where we were going, I expected to get out and see cabins and fire pits and all this stuff. And when I got out, what I saw was nothing. Um, we got out of the bus. There was a blank field and very thick forest of trees. And they instructed us, everybody, Unpack your backpacks, everything that you've packed, and then we'll give you back one change of clothes, your toothbrush, your journal, and a water bottle. And they said, that's what you get to take. And then they asked everybody to turn in their watches. And I thought, what in the world have I just signed up for? And sure enough, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. I thought it would be this nice kind of make friends kumbaya thing. And instead, it was a, we will break you and see what you are made of <laughs> kind of a thing. But I was stuck. I couldn't get away. And so they divided us into groups, and we ventured out into the woods for 19 days. Didn't see a toilet or a shower that whole time. And it was hard. But sometimes in the midst of all that, you do make friendships. It was kind of a, a trauma bond of sorts. Um, <laughs> but I... I made some really good friends, and, and one of the women I'm still friends with today, 25 years later, and we, were, we had had a particularly hard day hiking with our backpacks through the rain. When your feet get wet and you have to hike with a backpack, it, they blister and rub and the skin comes off. It was gross. And so at night, we were helping each other tend to our feet and putting on the little moleskin bandages. And just in this moment of gut-level honesty, she looked at me and said, this was not in the brochure. <laughs> and that became our little joke the whole uh, 19 days, is whenever we'd have a hard time, we'd just make eye contact and say, this was not in the brochure. Um, I tell that story because life can feel like that sometimes. We've signed up for this adventure with God uh, because we want our life to get better. We want the peace and the love and the joy and the hope that God offers. And then we walk a little while, and we hit this place where we feel like, man, this was harder than what I thought I was signing up for. Um, I have a good friend, and during some stressful weeks, one of the ways we encourage each other is by sending funny little 
memes that we find on the internet. I want to share with you a couple uh, that I saw. Everett, can you pull up that first video? Let's see. I hope these work. It says, what it feels like to go on the spiritual journey and do the inner work. that one to my friend and then she sent back this next one and this next one is just a few seconds long it says it quotes Hebrews and it says run the race before you with confidence and then it says this is me running my race it's a tough one <laughs> thank you Everett so it's funny because it's true that is what life feels like sometimes sometimes we we start on a journey and it turns out harder than what we think it's going to be. And maybe you have felt that feeling of, this is not what I signed up for. Maybe there was a relationship that you thought, this is going to complete me. And you've walked in it a few years, and you realize, you know, sometimes even in this relationship, I still feel lonely. Sometimes I feel irritated. Sometimes I feel frustrated. Or maybe it was a career that you thought, this is the place where I am going to find ultimate fulfillment and purpose. And while it's a good job and a good career, there's still days where it's just a grind. It's hard. Or maybe it was a spiritual life. Maybe you had a sweet honeymoon period with Jesus early on in your spiritual walk. And as you've been walking, you miss those days because there's something that's gotten kind of hard about it. In our scripture today, we have a story about John the Baptist um, that's going to contrast those two things, the beautiful vision that God gives us and then the really hard days that we live through as well. If you know anything about John the Baptist, he was Jesus's cousin, and he had this calling to prepare the way for Jesus. The people had been waiting for a Messiah, and John's calling was to be this prophet who was going to go tell people to get ready. And so he kind of, he gave up, you know, the normal white picket fence life, whatever that was in Israel back then. And he lived this radical existence out in the wilderness. It says he wore camel hair and he ate locusts and wild honey. And his main goal was telling people, um, turn around. You're going the wrong way. You've turned towards sin. You've got to turn around and give your heart to God. And, and this was what he kept telling people. And he was very effective at it. People would come out into the wilderness uh, to hear John's message, and they would respond and ask him to baptize them. But it didn't always go well, and John uh, one time spoke this word to one of the ruling authorities. Um, this guy was sleeping with his brother's wife, and John said to him, that's not right. He said, that's not of God. you got to stop, and you got to turn around. And this guy was offended. He didn't like that word of correction, so he thought, you know, I'm going to remind you of who's in charge here. And he snatched John up, and he put him in prison. And while John was in prison, while he was behind bars, Jesus started his, his ministry. He was going around teaching and healing and doing miracles. And John, 
asked his friends, um, go ask Jesus, are you the one that we've been waiting for? And Jesus said, go back and tell John, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, and the poor are having the good news preached to them. In other words, yes, I am the one they've been waiting for. And when Jesus said that, he was quoting the words of Isaiah. Um, Isaiah is the book we've been studying this Advent. And um, I want us to read uh, that chapter that Jesus was quoting to John. Uh, Julia is going to read our scripture for us. Y'all give her a hand as she comes up. And Mike, Mike as well. Thanks, guys. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals, where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Thank you. Isn't that, that is a beautiful picture of complete and total restoration. Isaiah paints this picture that where we're scared, we will be comforted. Where we're weak, we will be strengthened. Um, where, I love that part that says, even if you're a fool, you're not going to get lost on this road. <laughs> it's going to make it easy for us to stay on the path. And that sorrow and sighing shall be no more. Isaiah paints this picture of um, what all of our hearts crave of safety, of fulfillment, of joy. And I was thinking about what it must have felt like for John to receive that word from Jesus while he was behind bars. Now here's John, I've given my whole life for you. Like I, I gave up everything to prepare the way for you. And you're saying the, the lame leap and the blind see and the, the deaf hear and there's other parts of Isaiah that says and the captives are set free. And I think if I was John, I would be thinking, what about this captive? Like, what about me? What does it mean to receive the good news 
while you're still behind bars. And I know we have a lot of testimonies in this room of people who said it was behind bars that God met me. And that's beautiful. But there's places in our lives today where we are still behind bars in other ways. There are some places where we have received healing from God. And we have been the recipients of miracles, like the people that, that Jesus healed when he was living. And we rejoice in those. We celebrate those every week. God is moving in our midst, and he is healing people and delivering people and restoring families. And we celebrate that. There are other places in our lives where we're still in the middle of our story, where we receive the good news of God, but we still receive it from behind the bars of a broken body that's just not working right. Or we receive it from behind the bars of a mental illness that feels relentless. Or we receive it from behind the bars of an addiction that feels like it's just crouching in the corner waiting for you to have one bad day. How do we receive the good news of the gospel while we're still, in some ways, behind bars. And that's the picture that John is for us during Advent. He's a good, John, is, John the Baptist is a good friend for us during time of Advent because Advent is a time where we, we wait in hope. We acknowledge we're not totally there yet. Um, there are longings of our heart that are still not totally fulfilled, but we wait with hope. There are times um, when we're healed where our lives are like the previews of coming attractions of, of Jesus, of the resurrection, and we get little glimpses of that, and our lives get to be that. And then there are other moments where we are called to be co-laborers with Christ and walk through the sufferings of this world while still holding on to faith and hope. And that was the seat that John the Baptist was in. Um, there was a picture that a writer, Brene Brown, posted on her Facebook page many years ago um, that I, has stuck with me all these years. Everett, will you put that up? If you can read it, it's kind of small. It says the beginning in red, and then the middle, the middle, the middle, the middle, the middle, the middle. <laughs> and then at the end, it says the end. And I, I love this picture because it just feels so true. This is where we live most of our life. Most of our life will be lived out in this long middle part. And so we receive the gospel in the messy middle. But that is not different than the people that Isaiah was talking to when he wrote uh, chapter 35 that we heard read today. Isaiah was painting this picture of restoration and beauty and joy and peace, but he was painting it for people who were in deep suffering. Everything that they had dreamed in uh, fell apart. Everything that they were hoping for uh, got messed up. And partly it got messed up because um, of their own dumb choices. So they had this shame thing built in there too. And it was tough. And Isaiah was hard on them in the beginning of the book. But now we're getting to this place where he's, he's comforting them. And he's saying it's not all over. God is a God of restoration. God is a God of rebuilding. God is a God who can do more than you can possibly imagine. When was the last time you really let your mind and your heart rest on that? Where you really let yourself dream about the future that God has in store for you? It can feel a little bit um, too good to be true, to, to meditate on these things. You know, I don't think we do it. I think there's a few reasons why I was thinking, why don't I do that as much as I, as I could? Um, I think one of the reasons, I remember hearing this phrase growing up, someone was described as being so heavenly minded that they were no earthly good. And I thought, I, I don't want to be that kind of Christian. Like, I want to be, I want to do some earthly good. I want to, I want to 
be attuned to what's going on in the world, and I want to work for justice and for peace, and I want, I want my life to make a difference. I don't want to live in la-la land and like bury my head in the sand. I want to be attuned to what's really going on. And so I think that's one for me. I think, you know, to stay really true, I got to focus on what's broken and what's, what's messed up. The second one is this brings us face to face with doubt. We, we meditate on these beautiful pictures and then something says, do you really believe that? Like, is, is that really true? And it puts us in this uncomfortable space where we have to kind of face our own doubt. I think that's another reason we avoid it. And the third is sometimes we're in a place where we know what we've done and we know that we're the one that broke the thing in the first place and we don't really feel like we deserve um, the picture that's being offered to us in the scripture. But all three of those things keep us in this place where we gotta, we gotta either white knuckle it to get through or we, we just become overwhelmed and gotta figure out a way to numb out. And the prophet Isaiah, I think, is showing us a, another way, a third way, besides white knuckling it, besides numbing out. He says, just, just go for it. And I wanna say, even if you have to fake it till you make it on the, on the faith part of this, just practice sitting with God and asking God to paint a picture for you of the restoration that he wants for your life, to paint a picture of the end. It is focusing on the end, focusing on what God has in store for us that will give us the fuel that we need to get through the middle. And church history shows us that, that marginalized people groups who have focused on the end who focus on what heaven's going to be like or what God's restoration is going to be like, it's not that they become so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. It's that they become so heavenly minded that they refuse to settle for anything less. I think about the spirituals that were written during the time of slavery. So many of those beautiful songs are focused on the future. And it's saying, God, this is not all that God has for me. God has a future that where I am free. God has a future where I am fully who God created me to be. And they would gather regularly and proclaim this together. It wasn't just thinking it in their head. It was gathering to proclaim it. And rather than numbing them into contentment where they were, it fueled the fire to do things like to start the Underground Railroad. It fueled the fire to say, God has something better for us than this. I read a quote from Fred, uh, Frederick Douglass that said, this was after he was free, he looked back on his time in slavery and said, you know, our church meetings were remarkably buoyant. <laughs> What's the word he used? He said, we sung about the promised land with such joy, you would have thought we were already there. And that was in the midst of just terrible evil that somehow their hearts gathered together and they sung about the promised land in such a way that it lifted them there. And it gave them the strength that they needed to keep going. And we need that too. I mentioned the books that I read in um, preparation for that terrible camping experience. Uh, but one of the books was actually, they're both really good books, but one stuck with me and it was Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. And he talked about how he made it through the terrors of the Holocaust. And one of the things he had to do, they would take them out in the middle of the night and under freezing temperatures and have them stand there in very little clothing and just freeze. And it was horrible torture. And some of the men that he was with um, died in the midst of that. And so they asked him, how did you make it through those cold, torturous nights? And he said, I just... 
closed my eyes and I pictured my wife. And he said, I just imagined if I ever got to see her again, if I ever got to feel her embrace, if we ever got to be together again, it would be worth surviving the terrible moment that I was in right now. There's a quote from Viktor Frankl I want to read to you. You have the next slide. He said, I understood how a man who has nothing left in this world still may know bliss, be it only for the brief moment in the contemplation of his beloved, in a position of utter desolation when a man cannot express himself in any positive action, when his only achievement may consist in enduring his sufferings in the right way, an honorable way, in such a position, man can, through loving contemplation of the image he carries of his beloved, achieve fulfillment. He got through that horrible, horrible um, experience by keeping the vision of his wife in the forefront of his mind. And you know, the scriptures tell us that Jesus did something similar. It says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. And just like Frankel pictured his wife, I believe that you are part of the joy that was set before Jesus, that his mind and his heart dwelled on, it's going to be worth it because one day we will be together. One day I will be with my beloved. And Jesus focused on that and we are invited to do the same. God has set joy before you. We are not running this race for nothing. There is a good ending coming our way, whether we believe it or not. And I know some days it's hard to believe. But in the end, the end of your story will be worth the long middle. Um, if you've ever been to a church where they say formal prayers all together and say the same words every week, one thing you might hear in, in some of those churches is right before they take communion, the priest will say, um, let us proclaim the mystery of faith. And then all together the congregation says, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. When we say Christ has died, that talks about the past. There is nothing that we have done and nothing that has been done to us that in some miraculous, mysterious way, Christ's death has not covered. Then we say Christ is risen, and that refers to the present. That right here in this very moment, there is nothing that you are going through that you are going through alone, but that you have the power of the risen Christ right here, right now. And then we say Christ will come again, and that speaks to the future. That all the things we spend our time worrying about, being anxious about, God's got that covered. God's got that covered. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. The brokenness and the pain in our lives is true, but it is not the truest thing. And it is definitely not the end of the story. The pain is true, but it's not the real, the truest thing. The truest thing is that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived of all that is in store for those who love Christ. That's the end of our story. And that's good news. I'll end with one, one other story. There was, you know the song, um, His Eye is on the Sparrow? I was reading about how that song got written. Um, there was a, a woman named Sevilla Martin, and she was visiting her friends, Mr. And, Mrs., Mr. and Mrs. Doolittle. And they were elderly people, and Mrs. Doolittle was confined to a bed. She had been for 20 years. 
And Mr. Doolittle um, still went to work every day, but he had to go in a wheelchair. He was, he was disabled. And she said, but you wouldn't know it when you walked into their house. There was just such a spirit of peace and of joy and of love. And she wanted to be around them all the time. And finally, she asked, like, what, how is this? How do you do this? And he just turned to her and said, you know, if, if God's eye is on the sparrow, I know that he watches me. And she ended up writing that whole song based off this couple. And I just think about him, Mr. Doolittle, in that wheelchair. It's a perfect picture of while behind bars, you know, while behind the bars of a broken body. But singing out, I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. There is a way that we can enter into the end of the story, even now. And we are invited to do it. Let's meditate on that. Let's ask God, paint me a picture of the story you want for me. Show me the good things that lie ahead, because I need some fuel in my tank. Amen.